Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret, and today I am talking to Erica Souter. She has over 20 years of journalism experience and is a regular contributor on Good Morning America and other national broadcast outlets. It's her job to speak to parents across the country to stay on top of the issues, controversies, and trends most affecting families today. Her work appears on Cafe Mom, mom mom.com, Parents, The Bump, and so many more sites that reach millions of parents monthly. Her book is How to Have a Kid and a Life. We're interested in figuring out how to do that. So welcome, Erica. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. You talk in your book about the myth of modern motherhood. And I'd like to start there because I think it's a myth that will sound familiar to some, but you have some sort of unique takes on it. What do you define as the myth of modern motherhood? Well, there's this idea that we, when you become a mom, you have to give up everything that makes you, you. And that's not the intention going in. It's just this role we kind of find ourselves in where, you know, we have to put on the back burner all the things that consumed us or that we loved or that made us who we were. You know, we had romantic relationships, we had friendships, we had career goals, we had hobbies, we had interests. And for a lot of women, those seem to evaporate. Correct. And I just wanted to kind of dig into that and find out why. Why do we believe that this is how we're supposed to live, that we're how we're supposed to be mothers? Because it's overwhelming. I think it's the reason why some of us are so burned out and so tired. Yes, we love our kids. We wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. We always have to say that when we're... Every (laughs) once in a while, we would trade them for like a really good, I don't know, night out maybe, but we generally, yes, we wouldn't trade them. I think this is so true. And for me, I had my first child when I was 37 years old. And I think... Amy and I have discussed this because she started younger, and I sometimes wonder whether it's a factor of having started so late that I have this feeling of, I did not have the experience of, oh my gosh, my life was empty, and then Jesus threw a baby down a rainbow into my (laughs) arms, and my life was better. My life got significantly worse after having kids in a lot of ways, and yes, I longed for them, yes, I wanted kids, but... I think this idea of children as a transformatively 
positive only experience is extremely misleading and misguided. It's dangerous for us emotionally, to be honest. Yeah. Talk more about that. Yeah. I mean, my book the, in the cover, there's a stork dropping a bomb and not a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a really good reason for that. And it's because we're kind of taught or indoctrinized to believe that having a child will complete us. Having this family completes us. And this is kind of like the end all be all to what will make us happy. And that is just not the case. I interviewed hundreds of women. And yes, there were some who felt like, no, this is all I want to be. This is what I want for life. But most women felt like there was something more that they wanted, that having kids threw their life into a chaos they didn't, they weren't prepared for. And one of the issues that I have is that when we do say we're announced we're pregnant and we're do planning for a baby, it's all about stuff. It's like the right crib, the right baby care, Carrier, the right, you know, changing table, all the stuff. And we just don't prepare for all the other parts of our life that change from work to our relationships with our partners, to our relationships with women who don't have kids, to how we feel about ourselves and our body. I mean, how to make friends as a grown up because you do have to start making more friends who yeah. have kids, you know? And I just feel like all of those topics are kind of ignored because, of course, when you announce that you have a baby, it is about being excited and prepping for the baby. But prep in our culture means stuff, right? It means getting the right crib, the baby carrier, the stroller. I mean, God, there are like so many different strollers out there to pick from. The matching, uh, the colors is a big thing, right? Like, what are your nursery colors? I was like, uh, I don't know. I was the same way. Let's go with uh, yellow. I don't know. Yeah. Right? But I feel like we are not preparing ourselves for all the other major shifts in our lives. And that's why I don't write about colic or temper tantrums or getting your baby to sleep. I write about all the changes and shifts that happen in our lives that no one talks about. Because you're, if you work, your career changes. And even how you're viewed at work can change depending on what kind of environment you work in. I mean, I would say definitely does change in general. I mean, there must be workplaces where it's seamless, but not many, not many where the work doesn't change because you had a baby. Yeah. And so many moms had told me, working moms told me that, you know, when they got back to the office, it was like people didn't expect them to be as dedicated or as reliable. And that's absolutely not true. Research shows that moms are actually more organized. We're, you know, we're we're better at juggling different tasks. We're we're more motivated because we have this other life we have to get back to. But, you know, one mom told me, she said, she walked in and she was like a really, you know, high level marketing executive. And she felt that, her colleagues said that you know, she felt that her colleagues felt that her IQ dropped just because she had a baby. I was working a temp job years ago and I got a bouquet of flowers for my very high powered boss. And it said, congratulations on the baby. And I kind of laughingly went into her office and I said, well, someone got the wrong person or whatever. She thinks you're having a baby. It was a congratulations on the baby, like one of those funny things with the balloon sticking out. And she said, yeah, I haven't told anyone. You shut the door. I'm nine months pregnant. I'm having a baby on Wednesday. And she had completely hidden it from everyone. And we were a pretty small office. And I was the only person who knew that she had a baby on Wednesday and came back to the office on Friday because that's how she felt she had to approach it because she was a managing partner who was bringing in all the revenue. And the last thing she wanted was, and I remember at the time thinking like I was a young, you know, way before having kids, I thought, well, I 
have a psychopathic person in my life now. But looking back, I think I totally understand it It was probably 20 years ago and maybe things have changed. But the idea that people, oh, well, we're going to give her a break. We don't want to send her a lot of work. We don't want to, you know, and the income would drop because they were trying to do her a favor of not giving her business and her company business because she was having a baby. Yeah. I mean, that's real. And this affects, you know, a lot of women are the sole owners or the higher earners in their families. And it really does affect us. And it can be devastating. Even you can be turned over for promotion because they don't believe that you're going to be able to handle the amount of work or your travel is reduced or, you know, just in general, just you not being kind of a part of that club anymore of someone who's kind of moving up the fast track. And so a question that you return to all the time in the book, which I really, really like, it's something that we try to ask a lot on the podcast is how did we get here? And it's a really, first of all, why is that an interesting question to you? I mean, I think I know because I know why it's an interesting question to us. Why is that an interesting question to you? Well, so one of the first things I did when I interviewed anyone for the book is I asked, now tell me about your mother. What was she like growing up? And of course, the first things that come out of people's mouth, oh, she was so wonderful. She was fun. She cooked great meals and she loved being a mom. She loved taking care of us. And I was like, well, let's, you know, and then I'd ask them, well, talk about what she was like when she wasn't taking care of you or like when you saw her when in private moments or when she didn't really think you were paying attention or looking. And then a lot of the comments were like, you know what? She worked two jobs to take care of us. She was always so tired. There were things that she didn't get to do that I know she wanted to do. I mean, one woman told me that her mom wanted to go back to school and her siblings were so upset about it. Her mom decided not to do it that, you know, my mom never did anything for herself or those kinds of things. And then I'm like, I talked to them about their lives and they're repeating some of those same patterns in their lives. And so I wanted to get to the point of like, we see this, we see this all sacrificing model that we're taught is normal. And there was just like, so it's kind of learned behavior. We're learning that this is what moms do. They put everyone before themselves and my point is that comes with, that creates huge issues, not just for you, but for your family. Like research shows that a kid's social emotional development is more dependent on a mother's happiness. It's not how much time she spends with them. It's not whether she works inside the home or outside the home. It's not how much money she makes. It's whether or not she's happy. And I want people, I want moms to start putting their own needs on top of that huge to-do list we always have. I want to really drill down on this because it's in bold here on my notes for our interview. Research shows that the most important factor in a child's social emotional development, this is all we ever talk about on this podcast, right? How to have our kids achieve self-esteem, be happy, be well-adjusted children, is a mother's happiness. And it's I feel like this is something that we chase all the time, like there's the right camp or there's the right nanny or there's the right school setting or there's the right meal, something you put on a plate that is going to help our children achieve this happiness. And that this factor drill down a little bit more on what that looks like. It's mom's happiness that mostly makes kids feel safe and happy themselves. Right. It's really... So I think the problem that we have is, and I've done this and so many women I talk to have done this or primary caregivers have done this. And it's that, you know what? As long as my kid is happy, that's the most important thing. Right. Right. That's how we all feel. That's what we all say. That's all we want is for our kids to be happy. But the reality is, if you're not happy, if you're not feeling fulfilled, if you're not feeling like you're taking care of yourself, your kids sense it. They know it. They hear it. 
they feel it. And I think that we just kind of dismiss this idea. We haven't been taught that self-fulfillment is important because we're, I think we're also taught that like being a mom, it should be the most fulfilling thing that you do. And I want people to understand that it doesn't have to be the most fulfilling thing that you do. Of course, it's incredibly important. It's going to be one of the most important things that you do. But for some people, they can also have a career, they can have hobbies, or they can have things that they do that fulfill this other part of themselves. There are so many moms I talk to who kind of describe this kind of emptiness, right? This kind of like whole that they had, that there's so much more they wanted to do or so much more that they think they're capable of, but they just feel like, well, they can't do it right now. They have to wait till their kids are adults. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're going to wait like 20 years (laughs) to do something. And that's the you, your kids will know the best is those 20 years. Yeah. And I also ask moms who were kind of reluctant to kind of do things for themselves or put themselves first. I'm like, okay, well, if you're feeling burnout, you're feeling depleted, you're a little bit unhappy, right? Do you want your daughter to feel that way as a mom? Would you want your child or your children to experience this? And I think that kind of really drives it home, right? We're so focused on our kids' happiness, right, when they're little, but what are we teaching them about how to be an adult? And that happiness is not a mysterious box that we have to find out there somewhere. That happiness is right in front of us, but we're so busy sometimes looking for the box that we miss it, I think. I really love that point. Yeah. And I think so many people don't know where to start, right? And that's one of the things. So like at the end of every chapter, I have this like new to-do list, right? This is how you begin to start to figure out what it is that you want or need or what's missing from your life. And it was just, just like a basic thing. I asked every person who read the book, just once a year, ask yourself six questions. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear these six questions because they are really interesting. I am talking to Erica Suter and we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen dot me. And use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, before the break, you were saying at the end of each chapter, this is one of those books, and we love these kind of books, it's accessible, it's well-organized, so you can kind of go through and understand what you're reading in each chapter, and then useful takeaways, which is what we're all about on the What Fresh Help podcast. And so let's go through your six questions that kind of drill down on this issue that you want people to ask themselves every year. Right. You know, if you're struggling or, or you're just kind of feeling that there's something more that you need or you don't know what it is that you need, I think you need to ask yourselves these six questions every year. It could be spring, it could be in the new year, whatever. But the first is, am I nurturing my marriage or partnership? The second is, is my career headed in a good direction if you have a career outside the home? Number three, do I have supportive friends to turn to? Number four, do I feel good about myself? Number five, do I nurture any of the passions I had before kids? And number six, have I created a social life that has nothing to do with my children? Those are great questions. And if you said no to any of these questions, I think you should reevaluate your priorities and put your make yourself a priority. And so for some people, of course, it's their partnership or, or their marriage that's giving them, you know, that they feel that they're neglecting or that doesn't get enough attention. For others, it's their social life. But what I'm saying is all of these things, these were the major issues that I felt like most moms were struggling with and where they needed to focus more on. And it's the kind of thing that we often say, I think sometimes it feels to people like more work, like now I have to worry about myself. And you say in the book, which we've talked about, self-care is becomes the kind of thing it feels like a task it feels like oh now i got to schedule a manicure on top of you know the baby and the not sleeping and whatever this is whole life care stuff it's not really a manicure it's not really yeah. a massage it's a little deeper than that and it's not an exit on the highway it's the thing that makes the highway smooth and clear sort of Yes, that is exactly right. I love the way that, <laughs> that you describe that. Because I think people, it's not just a one-off. It's not like a once-a-week spin class or, like you said, an occasional manicure, pedicure. This has to be a part of who you are, right? So, I mean, I remember interviewing women. It's like, well, how do you, women who have found this space for themselves, one woman, it was kombucha brewing. <laughs> and I didn't even know you could make kombucha in your house. That would not be on <laughs> but, my list. God bless her. <laughs> Yeah. Another one, she took back up horseback riding. And what happens is something does sacrifice, right? There are only so many hours in the day. You do have to take away a little bit of time to focus on yourself. But like, no, when I have my time, three days a week, I have coffee with my close friends, right? That's something that I've made a priority for me. It helps me get through the week. It's fun. I look forward to it. We have a great time. Right. So, you know, for sometimes like it's like, okay, does that take away from the time I need to play matchbox cars with my five year old? Yes, but he's going to be fine. Right. We kind of think that we take away any time for our kids, they're going to suffer. No, they're actually going to be better off if we feel happy and more fulfilled and not so depleted and burned out. We have to do the things that kind of uplift us and make us feel whole in order to be the kind of parent and partner that we really want to be. And to be clear, one thing that's great about this book, it gives what we call the 30,000 foot view, not the every single tree in the forest view. That is a very mixed metaphor. But 
Will your five-year-old say, don't go, I miss you, I don't want you to leave when you go for coffee with your friends? Most five-year-olds probably will, right? They may cry. And so your immediate reaction is, I am damaging this child by taking care of myself. But what these questions and so much of the book does is help you say, my long-term happiness from the forest of you is much more important than the everyday, I feel a guilty feeling when I leave my child. Yeah. And I think that if you can start doing this, if you create this space for yourself, your family is going to work around it, right? Yes. They'll get used to it. They'll get used to it. And it's not, you know, I'm not recommending someone like ditch their family and go to Hawaii (laughs) and like sell (laughs) drinks on the beach or, you know, or anything like that. I mean, if that works for you, okay. We're not standing against it, but no, exactly. But these are things like, why can't you take a class? If you can work out the childcare and you can work out the schedule with your work, taking a class at night that you've always dreamed of. So these are things like I want people to start planning toward it. And I actually talk about like making baby steps. Like you can't just tomorrow walk into your family and be like, I'm going back to grad school. Bye. <laughs> That's right. What you can do is like, so you start making a plan, like who can watch the kids two nights a week or um, how will I deal with meals or how will I work it out with work? Or, you know, can you have to sit down and ask yourself these questions? And sometimes we're so overwhelmed. Like I wrote the book that I felt I needed and I didn't have when I was a new mom. Mm-hmm. And it's like, those are always the good books. Yeah. It's like, like where do you start? And you start by just sitting down and making a plan and going step by step. Use your resources. How many, Do you have a neighbor who you can trade childcare with? I talked to women who have this like collective of, they trade, like everyone has a night of the week where they take the other's kids. There's like four, four families and they do this. And I was like, wow, I've never, you know, that works for them. But you have to find out what works for you to help you get the life that you really need or the space that you really need to take care of yourself. I think that's right. And the other thing I like about it is I do think that there are seasons where this is a lot harder than other seasons. So I had three kids in four years (laughs) at 37 and I had been a working person and very much independent and I felt so hemmed in. And there were three years in there that were extremely challenging. The logistics were just very overwhelming. But one of the ways that I planned was as soon as I get the kids in preschool, then I will take a class one day a week or then I will. And so even though I was so tired that the, I mean, I would have slept through any class I took. It was not a season where I could basically have a weekly meeting with my husband, go on date nights. My husband and I would go on date nights and we would just stare at each other with like (laughs) bleary eyes. And it just wasn't enjoyable for us. But I like this idea of planning because it says in one year, everything will be quite different. And at that time, I know, I even planning the things I wanted to do, I want to go back and take a writing class, I want to get back to my writing, whatever it happens to be, that it gives me agency, even in the hardest periods, that there will be a time when I can get back. And that having a notebook full of plans is much more hopeful mm-hmm. than just sitting around and being like, I'm too tired to do anything. I guess this is my life now. Yeah. And that's what it is. I wanted to give people hope and to also know that there are millions of moms struggling with this. No one is alone in this. And sometimes we have this feeling that we are alone or that, you know, our particular struggle is unique and that we should just like stop complaining and just be happy. And that is not true. So many people are out there trying to figure out what is that. I mean, I wrote an entire chapter and the, the title is called Motherhood May Not Be Enough. 
Yes. And it's so hard for people to admit that, you know, people are about, some people have told me you're so brave to write something like that, but I wrote it because it's true and it's okay. Doesn't mean you don't love your children. Doesn't mean that they're not the most important contribution you've made to the planet, but there could be another contribution you want to make to the planet. And that's really cool too. For me, I love writing, right? I love writing. I love interviewing people. I'm so lucky that my job is something that makes that fulfills me and makes me feel good about myself. And I think that there are other things that people can do, whether it's a career change, whether it is just some personal goal. And one mom, she, she runs marathons. She just goes around and runs 5Ks wherever she can find them. And it makes her feel good. It's her time away. It's her time to think. It's something that it's a personal goal. It makes her feel like she's achieved something. So it's going to be different for every person. And so in that chapter, whether it may not be enough, I have a list of questions for you to ask yourself so you can help start to figure out what that thing is. Because it's not going to be the same for you and your best friend or your best mom friends. It's going to be different for everyone. And I love that point that you make. It's not a prescription. It doesn't work for everybody. So when you're listening to these kind of conversations and you hear, as I do, getting up and running a 5K, I'm like, <laughs> I would rather do, I can't think of the thing. I'd rather like, the kombucha brewing. <laughs> maybe shoving knitting needles in my ears would be more, like, that doesn't sound appealing to me. That sounds like work. But the bigger point that Erica is making is that it's not that this is the solution. It's that you're taking the time and care to look for your own solution and the thing that makes sense to you, I think. I want to take a break and come back and talk. You've done a ton of work around working moms, and I want to talk a little bit about that when we're back. I am talking to Erica Suter, and she is the author of How to Have a Kid and a Life, and we'll be right back. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero-gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Hi there. I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. 
I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So you write in the book about working moms. You have a recent Parents uh, Magazine article called The New Face of Working Parents. And you talk a lot about, obviously, the pandemic having had a huge effect on the change of working moms. So let's ask your question. How did we get here? Where are we and how did we get here in terms of working parents? I would be remiss if I didn't say that most moms don't have a choice about whether or not they work. Working is a requirement to take care of your family, right? It's a luxury to choose not to work. So I wanted to address these issues about what is work life like after you have children, right? So I do address that in the book, but in my recent article for Parents Magazine, I want to talk about how the landscape of you know work life is changing where for the first time ever we're in this position where companies are forced to give us the flexibility we need in order to keep good employees and this is such a good thing for working parents not just moms dads too but the idea that you can have a flexible schedule that allows you to be more present for your family is just you know sadly it's revolutionary right? We're so used to this old working model where it's like, you're gone for like 10 hours a day. And even when you're home, you're not off the clock, right? And there's no flexibility to leave when your kids need you or when someone's sick. I I remember working one of the magazines I worked at, you know, my son having an asthma attack and then getting eye rolls that I had (laughs) to leave. And it's just kind of like, we just feel that we kind of torn between these two worlds, right? We need to take care of our families financially, but we also need to take care of their needs when something happens. So now, because of the pandemic, companies have realized that you can still have a productive workforce and giving them flexibility. They can work from home part of the week. They can have flexible schedules. And a lot of companies are, you know, if you just ask, right? A lot of experts have told me that, you know, employees are in a power position right now. And if you're a good worker, if you produce a good product, if you ask for what you need, there is a huge 
chance that you're going to get it. So that could be working from home three days a week. It could be having a flexible schedule where your hours are different than other employees. It could be job sharing. You know, I interviewed moms who share jobs with other moms. One, I had a job share once. Best job I ever had. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And companies get a perk. They get like basically two for the price of one if you share your job. I've talked to doctors who've done it. I've talked to media execs who've done it. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for parents to finally kind of create this work life that helps them. I think also it's another thing that can have seasons as well. And it goes back to the earlier idea of you may, I know we have a lot of listeners who are first responders, who are frontline workers, who are not in careers where they have even access to their supervisors as much as, you know, they work in jobs that are not as flexible. I mean, sometimes Amy and I, because we run our own company and we make a podcast, we are super flexible. And, (laughs) but in talking to people, who may not be in those situations, and you talked about healthcare, that again, it's a conversation that you can revisit as, what is my ultimate goal? What does it look like? When I had a job share, I was approached by a company to do a job that I wanted, but it was 40 hours a week commuting into New York City. And I went back to them and I said, I would love to do this, but I cannot do this schedule with three little kids. What about a job share? And they said, what is that? And I went back and I wrote a proposal and I brought it in with me and I said, this is what it would look like. And I think knowing what you want, and it's easier when you're in a position where, I mean, I'm older, I have a lot of seniority at that job. It's easier to be in that position. But even if you're not in that position yet, to always know what your answer is to what does it look like in an ideal world? What would you ask for if you weren't afraid to ask for anything? And that having these conversations is not necessarily that tomorrow you're going to go in and be in a whole new world, but that you understand what you want your work life to look like. Yeah. And that's really important. You know, if we don't ask, you're never going to get right. Right. The answer may be no, or maybe let's revisit it in six months. But you have to start asking for what you want and need. It's like the same philosophy with taking care of yourself. You have to start making those steps in order to get the the life that you envision or you dream of or that you want or that your family that your family needs. But yes, if you don't try, it's never going to happen. Yeah. What my husband always likes to say, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Right. And you will, and things change, right? So I've been in jobs where I was, you know, the lowest on the totem pole and nobody was looking for me to bring in a write-up about a job share, right? They would have just like laughed me out of the company, basically. But things do change as you move up, as you get seniority, you have that plan in place. So you have somewhere you're going. And I think it's that hopelessness. We had Dr. Lynetta Willis on and she talks about stable misery. And that is a lot of the state that you're talking about, I think which is just like, I'm just checking boxes and getting through the day, but I don't really have a plan. I have no agency basically within my own life. And I think a lot of the stuff you work on and talk about is finding that agency for yourself again. It really is. And then also, you know, let's say you're in a job that you hate. And or that you just can't wait to just the day you can walk in and quit. Well, start making plans so that you can walk in and quit or can move industries. And again, that could be doing research, getting extra training at something or training for something totally new. It's figuring, again, figuring out your childcare, figuring out how your family's going to manage if you take on extra work or part-time work that kind of... 
there's just so many things that we can do. And yes, it's hard. I'm not saying that it's going to be easy. But if you want to make a change, you need to make a change. You have to figure out those steps you need to take in order to make the change. And before we go, I want to talk to you about, I really loved this part of your book. It really spoke to me. Let's talk a little bit about the idea of the mom gene that you might not have the mom gene. Can you define that for me? So this was the thing that made me want to write the book. When I was an editor at Cafe Mom, I mostly edited and assigned, but there was this research that came out of Rockefeller University in New York that said that women have the mom gene or hypothesized that women had the mom gene because they found this gene in mice. And so basically when this gene was activated, you were more nurturing, you had, you know, you wanted kids, you wanted to take on this nurturing mothering role. But for some people, it's not activated. Right. So I thought, oh my gosh, maybe my mom gene was never activated because I was never the type of young woman who craved having kids. Or I mean, even as a child, I didn't play house. I didn't play with baby dolls. My same, same, same. Yeah. My Barbies were like solving mysteries in the Amazon. (laughs) And, you know, I, and so I thought, my gosh, maybe this is why motherhood is so hard for me because maybe I'm not, it's not natural because this gene hasn't turned on. And so I just wrote this opinion piece, like it's a personal essay. And the response that I got, there were like hundreds of women who wrote to me and like, oh my God, I don't think I have the mom gene either. This is so hard for me. It doesn't feel natural. And so that's when I really started thinking like, wait a minute, like, why is it that we've had this, all this pressure for motherhood to feel natural? You know, I remember for me, breastfeeding was so hard. It was so awful. Horrible for me. And I could barely produce any milk. And I felt this tremendous amount of guilt and angst and like a pain. Like I just felt so awful that I couldn't do it because I've always been told that it's the most natural thing you can do. It's going, you know, it's not, it is so hard. And so I wanted to dispel this idea that there are, that, you know, there's something that clicks on and it's going to make you this mom who knows how to do everything. You're going to know all the cries. You're going to know how to cure colic and cradle cap and all that. No, a lot of us struggle to figure it out. And that's a natural part of the being a mom. Like you learn, just like you learn everything else, you learn how to take care of a child and you learn how to be this mom. So I wanted to dispel this whole idea that there's a mom gene. It really spoke to me because I am exactly the same. I mean, I never had the baby doll. I never had the baby idea. And I did luckily have a mom who also did not have an activated. I mean, the best mom loved her. Like, the, thank God, the best mom in the world for me. But she wasn't someone I would ask her. She also had three kids in three years. And I would ask her how it went. She's like, I, I don't know. I blocked those years out. They were horrible. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was very frank, at least, because it was a nice mix against people who were like, yeah. isn't it the best thing you've ever done? And isn't it like the most? And I, I would look at people like, what are you talking about? I mean, and now I have tweens and I am in heaven. Like I'm loving my life. I love these. I mean, it's, I have the tween mom gene, whatever that is. Like I like people I can talk to and hang with, but a baby, a unidirectional baby was not for me, friends. And it's okay. 
and it's so like, I remember thinking like, oh my God, I'm sitting there with my newborn being like, how do people keep doing this? Like, oh my God, I was like, so like <laughs> out of my depth. I was, this is like insane. And, but then you're made to feel bad when you don't feel like, you know, that it's the most blissful thing and the magic and the bonding. And I wanted to kind of dispel that, that, you know, we go through these stages and I talk about, it, it's called metrescence. It sounds like adolescence for a reason, because when you become a mom, so much of your life changes, like your body, your friends, you're emotional. And it's there's this there's this part of you that's changing and evolving and developing. It's like going through another level of puberty, but as a mom. And so I wanted people to know that they're supposed to have hard times or it's supposed to be difficult and it's supposed to be confusing and that they will learn, they'll grow into these roles or they'll learn how to cope and be a good mom. You don't it doesn't just boom, you have a baby and suddenly you're like Donna Reed. No, guys, that's not how this works. Erica Suter's book is How to Have a Kid and a Life. Great for moms of all ages, but amazing book for expecting moms in terms of just resetting some of these wild expectations. Erica, tell our audience where they can find the book and where they can find you. So How to Have a Kid in Life is available wherever books are sold, Amazon, independent booksellers, Target, Barnes and Noble. And you can also follow a lot of my tips and a lot of my research on my Instagram, which is at Erica Suter, E-R-I-C-K-A-S-O-U-T-E-R. And of course, I have, you know, articles all over the place on parenting. I just, my focus is really moms putting themselves back on top of that to-do list because, you know, parenting is hard, it's overwhelming, but there's space for you to find some happiness and some relief. Erica, I love this conversation. Thanks so much for talking to me. And of course, we'll link to all of those links and her book will be in our bookshop. So check it out. Erica, thanks so much. Thank you. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how 
all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life stucks.